Blah. Y'all already know what it is, your boy Yaakov, where to do the outlet to reality, the holders podcast in Vegas and Chicago. What up? This is the place where you want to have from your drama or maybe have from your baby mama. <laughs> Just kidding. But anyways, fans, thank you for staying tuned. Don't forget to like, share, comment, and subscribe. Ching. And today we have a very special guest who I consider a friend, a brother. I like to call him famous. Give it up for Rabbi Alkabiz. How's it going? Woo! Oh, it's going great. So excited to be here. Oh, man. It's an honor, Rabbi. You don't understand. I, I'm already sweating. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh, man. But I... I do want to share a little bit, uh, a little backstory, how we met. So This is going to be good. This is a good story. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This is going to be good. <laughs> so the crazy thing is I I met you at the call-out a few times. And right. I, I yeah. remember one time you were outside, and I said, Rabbi, I, I think I know you. you. Your son just had a bar mitzvah last week, right? And you're like, no. <laughs> and you're like, but my son's about to have a bar mitzvah this year. I was like, oh, Rabbi. So I'm kind of close, right? <laughs> and and it was so nice because many of the rabbis that, you know, I've interviewed on the podcast, like Rabbi Fromowitz, and I was like, Rabbi, I'll be honored to have you. You don't understand. Like, every time I see you, you're always in a positive mood. I don't know, maybe it's because you had your Cheerios or something, but you're always oh. in the game. <laughs> you know but that was my first impression. I got to say, very um, positive, humble, um, you know, great, great person. And, and what about you, Rabbi? What was your impression when you first met me? Well, which uh, which time? Uh, it could be uh, any time. Yeah. Anytime. <laughs> Well, I'll tell you. Um, so I always noticed you were always um, very friendly, very happy uh, to say hello to me. And I was always wondering if, in retrospect, that's because you thought I was the other rabbi. But uh, <laughs> but no, even after that, you kept it up. So so yeah, every time I see you, you're you're uh, full of energy. You're exciting. You light up the room. And uh, it's great to see you around. Um, and we learned in the same, um, at the Colo, we learned there on the same nights. So we see each other a lot. And um, we both mostly bump into each other, getting the food for the learning. Right? So I guess that's why we're both in good moods. Right. But it's always good to see you over there. Oh. The chillant or the, uh, whatever it is we're having, it's always good to see you. Oh, thank you, Rabbi. Very, very very kind now rabbi you know t tonight's about you and, and i want uh you to you know let the audience know a little bit about you um if you could share about like your background if you were born and raised in vegas and uh what school you went to and what what kind of things you like to do like in your free time one thing is for sure i definitely was not born in vegas i was born in queens new york and I grew up in Queens, New York, went to school there, went to elementary school there, went to high school in Queens and Massif the Forest Hills, part of Chabot uh, That was, uh, I was there for uh, high school. After high school, I went to Yeshiva in Miami, 
and I was in Yeshiva in Miami for four years or a little more than four years. And that was a great, that was a great experience. Learned a lot over there. The great, it was very uh, exceptional rabbis over there. It taught me a lot. And uh, after that, I went to the big yeshiva, Chabot Chaim in Queens, where I spent um, about a decade learning Torah over there with uh, a lot of good friends. Um, some of them you know. Rabbi Framos was there. Some of the others were there. And uh, it was great, great experience learning Torah there. I married, stayed learning after I was married. And I always wanted to teach Torah. I didn't know in what capacity, and I didn't know kids, adults, and I figured, you know, I gotta let uh, Hashem show me the right direction. So this is sort of what happened. It was like one piece after another. I, I kind of thought I was gonna go in more of an adult education route. I was walking on the street, and I met somebody I knew, and he said, uh, there's an opening at one of the elementary schools for a seventh grade job, this is July, so it's close to the uh, you know beginning of the next school year. Somebody, so he said, somebody just left, and they're looking for a placement. So give a call to the principal. So I figured I don't have anything to lose. Right then, I you know I'm looking for a job, so this job came my way. I uh, gave a call to the principal, and I was like half-hearted about it, but. Once I uh, gave a, a lesson, a practice lesson over there, then I saw I liked it and I got the job. And that kind of put me in the direction of teaching middle school kids. And then that's what I do here in Las Vegas. So uh, it's um, pretty good to have that direction of Hashem. That's how I ended up doing what I'm doing. Wow. That's amazing, Rabbi. And, and Rabbi, what 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 really puts you wanting to? Because I I hear you, you know, you're you're teaching at a middle school. You left New York to come to Vegas. There had to be a lot of things in your mind. And what what made you wanting to be a rabbi? What was? How did you know this was your your purpose in life? So I I was trying to think about that a little bit. I'm not. I'm still not, not sure how I how I knew that. I once heard that. You don't really, um, you don't really pick what you're gonna do. It's uh, Hashem kind of puts it in your head, and you go in that direction, and then the people you meet along the way send you in that direction, and you kind of just know internally what you're supposed to be doing, and that's how, um, and Hashem does that because we need all kinds of people in the world. You know, what if there was no one interested in becoming a doctor, right? So then how are people going to get healed? We're not going to be doctors. So Hashem puts it in the head of different people to become doctors. So I guess Hashem puts it in the head of people to become rabbis. And uh, we need good podcasts. So I guess Hashem put it in your, in your mind that we got to have uh, good podcasters out there too you know keeping uh, we need an outlet to reality so should put that in your mind so I, I think that's the real story of how that happened like what what happened to me along the way i guess um i went to learning yeshiva 
and I liked it and I liked learning Torah and I figured I like learning Torah, I like teaching Torah, you know. I I want to do a job of something I like. So that's how I went in this direction. That's I think really what pushed me in this direction. It's not like uh you know, it's not I didn't I can't say I did it for the people. I, I guess I really did it kind of for myself because it's just what I like to do. But hopefully um, we help some people along the way. Wow. No, it's deep because if, if you think about it, rabbis, they saved the soul. You know, and sometimes we, we as a people, we can get lost in our own reality in our own distraction and we need that guidance sometimes to to get us back in our feet you know um and, and that's what i love about you know about having a rabbi is is going to them and feeling comfortable and knowing that you won't be judged because they understand it's a process of growing of growth yeah, right. Well, everything's a process of growth, and I think we're, you know, we're all just uh, friends working together. We're all friends, and uh, we all help each other grow, and uh, we all give what we have. So it's rabbis, everybody, you know, that we all help each other. That's the way I, I see our community. I love it. And, and even, like, last week when I saw you, right, talking about helping each other, Rabbi Goldman gave a shear at the Kolo about um, the the thing about, you know, holding a grudge, right? And, like, being careful. Because it's so easy to not, um, if one person does something wrong to do you wrong, like, that's it, I don't want to, I don't want to talk to them no more, I, I'm, I'm done. Right. It's very it's a very natural reaction. Right. <laughs> and thinking yeah. about how, you know, sometimes we have there's a term in Hebrew, which is Nagia. Right. It's uh, bias, being biased on on anything. Right. And I, I gave an example of my barber, you know, who's who's Muslim. And I was talking to him. I had a, you know, um, conflict with a family member. And same thing, he did He did me wrong in one thing. And he said that, you know, you have to look at the good and the bad. If the good overweighs the bad, then you shouldn't walk away from their life. You know, we're not perfect. And, and I just thought it was an amazing concept, uh, Rabbi. If you want to share, give your, your two cents about what, you know, the, the whole uh, situation, you know. Oh, yeah. So I think oh, that's just always very hard. Grudges is like a hard thing to deal with. And there's different levels, of course, what happens. You know, one person could be holding a grudge because of something small, but another person could be holding a grudge against someone and he was really wronged, right? So everybody's got to work on this in a different level. So I guess... What you're saying makes a lot of sense you, to take the things into totality. Now, what about if you take things into totality and now you say, you know, I still want to have that grudge, right? What do you do then? 
that's, so that's that's a pretty tough one, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, I'm not sure, you know, because that's very hard for us to to judge someone who is wronged so bad um, and expect them not to have a, have a grudge. But for us ourselves, I what I think is it's sort of like uh, weightlifting. It takes practice. And you got to be working on yourself before somebody wrongs you. That's really what I think. Or if somebody wrongs you, work on yourself in other areas and maybe then come back to that grudge later on. Right? So I'll just give, like, an example. Um, so I think I, I was telling you the other night over there at the Kolo, there's a Hebrew word called sovel. Right? Sovel. It's hard to find a good English translation, but it's sort of like a mix of tolerating and carrying. Meaning, let's say you have someone who did something wrong, but you know that you need to get along with this person, right? Like, let's just give an extreme example. There are two guys on a lifeboat, right? You and someone else on a lifeboat. And the guy you're with, he does something that sets you off, gets you upset. He, you know, uh, said, you know, he takes a, some of the extra food or whatever it is. You know that you have to get along with him in order to survive, right? Yeah. So what are you going to do, right? What are you going to do if you hold the, that grudge? You're not going to get anywhere. You have to work together to row that boat to shore. So you, you, a person will find a way to deal with that grudge. So what are they going to do? How are they going to do it? I think everybody knows the answer. I think everybody knows that when you feel like you got to get along with somebody, you're going to find a way to get along with them, Right. But you're not going to deny reality what the guy did to you. You know what he did to you. And you can't deny it. He just did it a few minutes ago. You know that you have to get along. So you're going to be so well what he did. You're going to carry it. You're going to, like sort of what you were saying, we got to take the whole person in the totality and the totality of the scenario. We need a, we're in a situation. We got to work together. So I'm going to say I'm taking on the whole package. I have this guy here. Something he did annoyed me, but we need to work together right now. So it's it's a it's the full picture, right? So I think like one of the steps is to know what it means to be sovel to carry that burden. And I'm just using this as an example where I think everybody could relate to when you have two people that need to get along in their situation that they need to get along with each other. You're gonna find a way to to tolerate that. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's very deep, Rabbi. I I agree with you 100. percent It's almost like an example that came up in my head. Like for you know, I work in retail, so I have to get along with everybody. You know, all my coworkers, in order for the so that way the customers are happy. If I hold that grudge against my other coworker, nothing's going to get done. 
Because then I'll be like, yeah. I, I'm not going to move. I, I'm going to wait until he does his, uh, you know, it, it's uh, there's going to be just conflict and nothing's going to, no one's going to be happy. It's going to be unorganized. So I agree with you. I think you have to control your pride and not take it personal. I think that if if they are trying to get you upset, it's not you the problem. It's them. Maybe something's going on, right? Yeah. Maybe. Right. What forces you to do that is realizing that you need to work together, right? Yeah. That this is a situation where if you don't work together, you're you you yourself are gonna lose out. So you'll find a way to tolerate it. So this like brings to mind the the uh, former chief rabbi of Israel, Rabbi Lau. Well, there's a Rabbi Yisrael Mayor Lau. He once spoke at a conference, and he said, everybody knows the vision of Mashiach, where the symbol is a lion and a lamb sitting together, drinking from the same water, right? Everyone has that, that vision and understands, oh, when Mashiach comes, the lion and the lamb are going to be able to sit together. The lion's not gonna eat the lamb. And that's the, the symbol for Mashiach. Like, I think a lot of people know about that picture. So Rabbi Lau says, what's that? What's the big deal with that? We already experienced this. This is experienced in, in the Chumash, in Parshish Noach. All the animals had to go into the same teva, into the big boat that Noach had. And you had a lion and you had a lamb and they got along, right? Yeah. So why is this the symbol of Mashiach? So he says that an important difference, and then there's a lesson we get from here. He says that when the animals were in that boat, they knew that they had to get along with each other, right? The, the lion knew that there was no more lambs left. And if he were to eat that lamb, then there wouldn't be food for him or his descendants down the line, right? And the lamb knew, right? Everybody knew they had to get along with each other. So when you're in the same boat, literally, you know you got to get along with people. You're going to find a way to make it happen. The big idea of Mashiach is, says Rabbi Lau, even when everything is great and we'll have everything we need, we'll still be able to get along. That's why it's a big deal for a lion and lamb to be sitting together even though they're not in a boat and there's no storm going outside. But I guess the lesson we could take for ourselves for now is the more we realize that we need someone else, the easier time we'll be able to get along with them. Right? Now we can then apply this to uh, a good way to get along with somebody is to think about how much we, we need them and how much we have to gain with working together and how much we'd lose out if we were to say, you know what, I, I can't handle this guy anymore. So that's, I think, one way that we can learn to accept this um, idea of uh, fighting a grudge or, or working on a grudge. Wow. No, it's it's a very powerful rabbi. That you 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 just shocked me. It's amazing what Rabbi Lau said because I've that's so cool the the concept 
even like now, I think that if we try to live like the Mashiach is here already, like prepare ourselves, I think that's, you know, that way, you know, we're ready, you know, even though there's still room for us to grow, but I love that concept, like the lamb and the lion eating together, you know, you see in movies, Rabbi, I'm going to be honest, this got me thinking, but in movies, they always say that um, there's a quote that um, my enemy is a friend in me. And it, it's crazy. You hear that a lot, right, Rabbi? You hear that? Sounds and, good. Right? <laughs> and in the movies, they, they show where, where you, that might be your enemy, but in order to pass this place or this horrible, let's say, hallway, whatever, I need my enemy to help me out. And it's crazy. At the end, most movies, they show that they end up becoming friends. <laughs> yeah, right? I guess that's what people want to see. Right? right? Yeah. That's what people want. Yeah. Yeah. It's deep. Yeah, yeah so it's important. Important to realize that. Um, and uh, once you can see it in a situation where you need the other person, I think you can get an idea of what it means to take on a full picture and carry Visovel something that the person did that you don't like. Once you see that, I think then you can apply it to even people that you don't necessarily feel like you need to be co-workers or working with them. Um, once you, 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 this is really also just to get you like a picture. This is what it means. Like, I know that I can do this I can be sovel, I could tolerate and carry when I know I need to work with this person. Otherwise, everything's going to end up in a disaster. I can now apply this to situations where I don't necessarily need to work with the person, right? Let's say I'm in a situation where this guy, I, I feel he wronged me, but if I part ways with him, I don't really have much to lose. I still can look at this idea that I know exists in my life in other areas and say maybe I could be so well over here right so I'll get, I want to give one practical exercise that I read in the Safer Ali Shur the book written by Rav Wolby, Rav Wolby and he says if you want to work on this you take one half hour a day and you set your phone, you take your, your phone and you set an alarm and pick a half hour. You say, for that half hour, I'm going to tolerate what happens to me, right? I'm going to be so whether it's something sitting in traffic, right? We don't have so much of that here, but every once in a while it happens. Right. Whether it's, uh, right, whether it's the people I'm dealing with. You pick a half hour, you say, like, let's say every day from 4 to 4.30, I'm going to be sova. I'm going to tolerate. Again, I'm going to just carry and, and take this and put it, try to put it into the full picture for one half hour a day. And after that half hour, then you just go back to being your regular self. You know, you try it, but try it as best you can. But for one half hour, you put that focus. So what this does is it builds your muscle. It's really like weightlifting. Because that's what you're doing. You're carrying something that happened to you. 
you're holding you're holding it up so you it's hard to do that right away so you need to start slowly so you start the half hour a day half hour i'm gonna just be soville right after that half hour i'm gonna be my regular self and he says you do this for a while and when you see that that half hour is getting easier then you add a another half hour at a different point in the day, not connected, right? Because you don't want to, not saying, I'm not saying take the half hour and make it a full hour. Let's say you're doing a good job with the 4 to 4.30 slot. So now maybe go to 11 a.m. and do 11 to 11.30 a.m., right? And now you're lifting those weights a little more, those toleration, of, if that's a word, tolerate, tolerating weights, or lifting, holding up the, the full picture here, and you're doing it a little more. Uh, you know, every couple weeks, add a little bit more. So you're, like, strengthening that muscle of lifting, right? So that's, I think, a, a practical way, he says, to work on this. You know, you... Uh, you have that half hour and you don't want it to be too much because if you try to just change like that, it's not going to work. And after a couple days, you're going to say, this is too much for me. And you're going to snap, right? right? Because it's too much of a person who's not ready. You're not ready to take on everything. Right. So, and then I would also say just, uh, it probably means to take a, a part of the day. Not that it's too hard. Don't take the craziest part of the day. And say, uh, all right, I'm going to tolerate the hardest part of the day. You know, if you're running a store, if you're in sales, don't do this at the craziest part of your day, whichever that part of the day that is, right? If you're running a, a pizza shop, don't do this at the exact time that you know the store is going to get crowded. You do it at a time that makes sense. But I think also don't do it while you're sleeping. Right? Don't say, you know what, I'm going to tolerate everything from 3 a.m. to 3.30, right? And you say, oh, this is great, right? I'm already doing a good job. So it's got to be somewhere where you think you're going to be able to do it. It's very much like, I'm sure you're picturing this in your mind right now, weightlifting, right? Yeah. You, you can't just pick up the bar with nothing on it, right? But you put something on the bar that you think you could lift, and after you do that for a while, you add it a little more, right? You slowly add a little more. So that's, I think, a very practical way to work on this. Then when it comes to meeting someone later on in life, and if a person does something wrong to you, you already have those muscles in place, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, so hopefully, I don't know, that's an idea that I read in the book. And uh, it's a good, a good, pra a good uh, practical idea, a good practice. I love it. I love it. And, and Rabbi, can you apply that same concept and technique when you're married? Because I know there's ups and downs in marriage, 100%. Is there a way, like, you can use that same, like, tolerant? Because there's going to be, like, you, you know it, Rabbi. I, I mean, I've never been married, but... Uh, you know, I, I you know coming soon, guys, near you. But uh, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but is is there is uh, um have you done that technique while being married? Like you're like okay, 
it's time for me to listen to my wife. She, she she's she, maybe she's going through something. I'm, I'm gonna I'm not gonna give my input. I'm just gonna listen. Like, do you switch? Uh, yeah, I definitely have. Definitely have. I, I don't want to go into too much uh, details on the podcast, but but uh, definitely uh, there are times in the day, whether it's uh, all right, whether it's uh, getting uh, my kids out the door in the morning, or different points of the day where it's good to kind of view the whole picture and say, you know what, before you get into the tough situation, say, I'm just going to do this for a few minutes. I'm just going to be able to, I'm going to get through this and uh, I'll be able to do it. Um, there's a idea that when something has an end, people are able to tolerate it, right? Yeah. When you know that there's an end. And so that, I think that's part of the trick over here. One of the Gemaras that I was just doing today, it was talking about um, a person who would be uh, severely beaten. And uh, there's a famous story with three people who were thrown into the fiery furnace, Hanania, Mishal, and Azariah. So they were refusing to bow to an idol. And the emperor Nebuchadnezzar threatened to throw them into his furnace. And that would have been the end of them. They were thrown in the furnace and a miracle happened. They survived. Right? So that's a really uh, amazing thing. They were willing to, they were willing to risk their life. The Gomara said, had they have been threatened with a beating, with being beaten up, they would have capitulated to Nebuchadnezzar and bowed to the idol, right? Yeah. And the Gemara says the reason why is because there would have been no end in sight to the end of their being beaten, right? So death, they're willing to risk their life and give up their life to uh, not break Hashem's Torah and not bow to this idol. But if it's talking about a beating with no end in sight, that would have been too hard for them. So isn't that interesting? That when there's an end in sight, we can all do it. If there's no end in sight, it seems like scary and overwhelming. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. I, I even I've heard the story, Rabbi, but I've never saw it that way. How if there's an end, you know, you don't feel that worried, you know? But yeah. If the ending is like forever, you're like, I'm scared because you don't know if it's going to be yeah. over. So it's right, it's, right. it's amazing, Rabbi. It's very, very deep stuff. I love it. And um, Rabbi, I'm going to wrap it up because it looks like Zoom about to kick me out. Uh, but guys, um, thank you, Rabbi, for being here. This is the outlet to reality. Yeah, my pleasure. Anytime. <laughs> The Outlet to Reality, the oldest podcast in Vegas and Chicago every Tuesday. Don't forget to like, share, comment, and subscribe. You know where to find me. I'm on Instagram, YouTube, Spotify, the, uh, the Outlet to Reality, and my Snapchat is Take One Pass It, and my TikTok is at Yakov28. And Rabbi, where, where can my fans find you if they have any questions about Gamara? Gamara is, is there any way they can reach out? Uh, I got my email. That's uh, 
Y-A at Y-D-L-V dot O-R-G.